Well, I invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Leviticus as we begin a new series, uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 1, and we're actually going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 40. I'll explain why in a moment, but we're going to look at the first few verses of chapter 40, beginning at verse 34, and then we'll read chapter 1 of the book of Leviticus. Let's give our attention to God's word this morning. So Israel is in the wilderness. Uh, they've just been rescued out of Egypt. Uh, they are, uh, they've been to Mount Sinai, and God has given all the, uh, uh, the law and the requirements for the tabernacle. Notice chapter 40, the tabernacle has now been built according to the exact specifications which God uh, gave to them. And in verses 34 and following, the Lord now comes to dwell uh, with his people. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Then Leviticus chapter 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the, front, from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire." And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire of the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar." And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its content and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh, God in heaven, we believe that you've given us the Holy Spirit specifically to lead us, to teach us according to, to your truth. And 
We thank you so much that that spirit has been given to us today. And so, Lord, open our eyes uh, to see the wonder of our Lord Jesus uh, and the beauty of our holy God and the calling that you give to us, your, your people, as we open um, this text this morning. We give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're beginning a series on one of the more overlooked books in the Bible. Um, when uh, people have asked me what I'm preaching on, or they say, I heard you're doing a, ser- uh, a new sermon series on Leviticus, there's a little bit uh, disbelief, um, some curiosity, uh, maybe even sometimes morbid curiosity. Uh, why in the world would you do that? Uh, the book of Leviticus is not something that people run to for devotional reading. Uh, there's not many verses here that are uh, well-beloved verses that are memorized or you'll find in your local Christian bookstore. Uh, it, it, it just lacks some of the things that makes the, uh, the books of the Bible enjoyable. So it doesn't have really any great stories in it, right? right? Like the historical narratives that we find in the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, it doesn't have much for rich um, heart-touching poetry like, like the Psalms. It doesn't have snappy wisdom like Proverbs uh, or Ecclesiastes. Uh, what this book has are regulations, uh, lots of them. Uh, regulations that touch uh, how you're supposed to worship, uh, what you need to do to, to clean your house if there's been a, a, a mold, uh, how to, uh, what you to do if there are skin diseases. It includes uh, things touching sexual relationships. Uh, all kinds of regulations, and, and most of them just feeling outdated and irrelevant. Um, so the first 15 chapters of the book are taken up with regulations about sacrifices and priestly ordinations and uh, things that are cl- unclean. And they're going to seem foreign to us. They're going to seem maybe even sometimes a little random and bizarre. Uh, for instance, uh, why, are, why is a shrimp unclean? So you can't eat any shellfish. Uh, you know, of course, you can't eat pigs. Uh, they're, they're all unclean. Well, well, what makes them unclean, and, and why aren't uh, the Israelites allowed to, to eat them? Um, so going through Leviticus is going to feel a little bit like going through a foreign country with strange culture, strange customs, things that, that you're not um, completely familiar with. Uh, but it's an extremely important book. Uh, did you know that Jesus quotes one verse from Leviticus more than any other verse Um, in the Old Testament, and that is Leviticus 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Leviticus provides, of course, the the backstory, the backdrop for the the gospel. Uh, The book of Hebrews particularly leans heavily upon the regulations uh, that we find here to to help us understand the glory of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And the book of of Leviticus uh, gives us a better sense of the character of God and specifically the holiness of God. It's a a category that we're not very familiar with. There are not many holy sorts of things in our our world. Uh, And so the holiness of God, we know the word, but it's a category that remains a bit fuzzy. Well, it's one of the main themes in the book of Leviticus. God says to his people, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's chapter 19, verse 2. And so, uh, trusting that the Lord has many good things for us as we, as we open this book uh, together. The book begins, actually, with the word and. It doesn't show up in your English translation. 
But um, there's a conjunction here that shows that this is flowing directly from the book of Exodus. This is a continuation of the story of the book of Exodus. And so that's why I read the last book of the last portion of that, uh, that book. Israel has now been, uh, they're out of Egypt. They're in the, they're in the wilderness. And um, the tabernacle has been erected. And now God gives the regulations for sacrifices and ordination for priests and, and so forth. Uh, you see, um, Exodus ends with this wonderful n- news of, and this event of God's glory now coming to dwell in the midst of Israel. Remember, the tabernacle would be situated in the center of the camp, and there would be three tribes in every direction. God is in the very middle of Israel, but it raises the question, how is that going to work? Because the last time uh, God and man were in the same vicinity, right, in the Garden of Eden, that ended abruptly when Adam and Eve fell into sin. And they were removed from the garden and warned never to come back in. The way was protected by uh, uh, angels with flaming swords. The, um, and the point was to, the reason for that was to protect Adam and Eve. Uh, because God being a holy God is a consuming fire. The Bible says that all over. A consuming fire for all that is evil. And so God is protecting Adam and Eve, keeping them out of his presence, lest they be consumed. Well, how is it going to work now that God is once again in uh, the presence of Israel? They are in his presence. So um, God has allowed sinful Israel back into his holy presence. How is that going to work? And the book of Leviticus is God's answer to that question. Uh, The relationship between a holy God and his sinful people will be regulated, maintained by means of sacrifices and priests and holiness. Those will be the terms of the relationship. And as we go through the book, we'll see that to ignore those terms, um, well, brings the sentence of judgment and death. The, um, so let's, let's kind of go back in time, back to uh, Israel there in the wilderness. Uh, they've been just recently rescued uh, out of Egypt. They had been there for 430 years. They were very Egyptian in that sense. The culture of Egypt had become partly their culture. Uh, they've already proved their unfaithfulness in the worship of a golden calf. Uh, they've already been sentenced to live in the wilderness for 40 years because of their refusal to trust God when the spies came back and said, you know, 10 of them said, there's no way we can do this. And Israel panicked and God judged them. And for 40 years, it was going to leave them wandering in the wilderness. Uh, so we, what we know about Israel already is th- these are not good people. They're, they're not a godly people. But God has not abandoned them. God, for the sake of his own name, has pledged to rescue them, to save them. And, and so the tabernacle has now been built according to God's own specifications. The glory of the Lord has descended. God is now with them as their God. And he's going to teach them now how to live with him as his people. That's what we'll be learning as we go through the book of Leviticus. Uh, so uh, we're going to begin this uh, morning looking at chapter 1, the, and uh, we're told about burnt offerings. Uh, The first three chapters, we have burnt offerings and then the cereal offering, chapter 2, and then the peace offering, chapter 3. But we begin with the burnt offering because this is the most common offering that would be offered uh, in Israel. And and so we have there um, 
regulations concerning a burnt offering, whether that be from uh, the herd, so a bull, verses 3 through 9, or from the, uh, the flock, so a, a ram, verses 10 through 13, or a bird, verses 14 through 17. As I said, this, is, this would be the most common offering in Israel. Uh, if you remember, this is the offering the priests were to make every morning and every evening there in the, uh, in the court of the tabernacle. They would offer this offering for the sins uh, or, or for the nation as, as a whole. Uh, but, but in Leviticus chapter 1, the, uh, this command is given really with um, individuals in mind. So, so what individuals need to do when they come before the Lord. And we'll find as we go through the, the book that there are a variety of things that would require you to bring a burnt offering. So um, ceremonial cleansing after childbirth, um, bodily discharge that's now been, been, been cured, or skin disease that's been cured, uh, you would have to then, to be made clean, bring a burnt offering. Uh, it could be part of repentance and, and a, um, a sacrifice to accompany a prayer. If you remember in the book of Job... Job would, on the days his children got together to offer feasts, Job would <clears throat> offer burnt offerings for his children, um, lest they had sinned in their heart. And so these would be burnt offerings um, seeking God's favor for his children. Well, let's just get to it. What is required? What do you need to do if you want to bring a burnt offering? Well, we're told that you need to bring uh, an animal from your flock, your herd, uh, something that you owned, it couldn't be a wild animal. It couldn't be an animal you'd found wandering down the road and uh, decided, you know, let's make good use of this. It has to be a personal uh, sacrifice that you bring. And uh, it, it needs to be a costly sacrifice. You, you would bring a, a male without blemish from your herd or your flock. Or if you couldn't afford that, you're allowed to bring a pigeon or a turtle dove. But, but the, the idea is that you're supposed to bring the best that you can bring. If you can afford a bull, don't be bringing a, a pigeon. Uh, that would be deeply displeasing to the Lord. This is, not, uh, <clears throat> this is not something you want to try to get by on the cheap. A male without blemish means that this is a worthy animal, a whole animal, a healthy animal. Uh, back on the farm, we would used to, uh, we would cull the herd from time to time. We'd, we'd, take, we'd pick out some of the older cows, sick cows, uh, ones that weren't producing uh, enough, and we'd send them off to the auction. Uh, they'd become a hamburger. Well, uh, you can't do that with, uh, with sacrifices. You can't cull the herd and say, we got some old animals here. Uh, let's sacrifice them to the Lord. Um, that, would be, that would be profoundly dishonoring to the Lord. Um, but most importantly, it needs to be a regulated sacrifice. You need to do it the way God commands that you do it. And uh, there are certain things. One is the place that God requires. You need to bring your animal to the tabernacle and to the altar. If you remember uh, when we were studying the, through the book of Exodus, that was a while ago now, but the, the, um, if you walk into the, the court of the tabernacle, it's about, boys and girls, it's about um, half the length and half the width of a football field. That would be the court of the tabernacle. And the, the tabernacle itself would be towards the rear of the court. As you walk in, the first thing you notice is the altar, about seven feet by seven feet square. Uh, you can't get to the tabernacle without passing by. The, you have to go by the altar. And the altar is there just to, to remind you that a sacrifice is required to come into the presence of the Lord. Well, you need to bring your, your animal, your sacrifice there then. You can't, um, 
You can't do this in your backyard and, and let the priest know we, we made an offering uh, yesterday uh, to the Lord in the backyard. Um, no, it has to be done here. There's no, there's no uh, you know, virtual worship, no live streaming option. You've got to be in the tabernacle by the altar. And it's the only altar that God will accept a sacrifice from. Um, then you, bring, you lay your hand on the, on the animal to signify uh, identification, to signify substitution, that this animal is being sacrificed on your behalf and in your place. And then you would, you would kill it. And the Hebrew word here is the, is the word for ritual sacrifice, slaughter. So you would, you would slit its throat. And the blood would gush out. Uh, it would be gathered by the priests. And they would splash it, uh, that blood against the altar. It's not, the blood is not wasted. It's an essential part of the sacrifice. The life of the animal is in the blood. Uh, the, 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 uh, you would then flay the animal and you would, you would cut it. You would place, the priest would place it on the altar. Uh, the entrails need, need to be washed and the legs, made, they need to be made clean. So they're worthy, a worthy sacrifice. And the whole animal is burned up. Some of the sacrifices, the priest would take some of the food for themselves. Some of the sacrifices, the worshiper would participate in, in the sacrifice and, and eat some of it. But not the burnt offering. It is completely devoted to God. It belongs completely to Him and is offered up to Him. Well, those are the regulations, and God means for them to be followed. You see, the regulations are making a very specific theological point. That it is not an easy Thing. It's not a little thing for sinful men and women to live with God. One of the most common mistakes people make when they think about a relationship with God is to assume that it's a very easy thing. It's not that big a deal. It's about as difficult as making a new Facebook friend. Uh, when you ask people, why should God let you into his heaven? Most people don't struggle that much with that. They'll say, well, I'm, you know, I've, God knows my heart. I have good intentions. Uh, I have these um, noteworthy character traits. I haven't done anything really that bad. It, it, it doesn't seem a difficult thing. It, it, it doesn't seem to be required that much to be allowed into heaven. You see, it's just evidence that People don't get it. A sinful man, his, his, his eyes have been blinded, his spiritual eyes have been blinded. We just don't have a clue what God is actually like and what an evil thing sin actually is. Imagine putting Adolf Hitler on trial for his crimes. And, and the judge would ask him, why should I let you... Uh, go free. Why should I let you escape the punishment you deserve for killing millions of innocent people? And Hitler confidently replied, well, if you knew me, you'd realize I'm not really a bad person. I, I was kind to my mistress. Um, everyone knew that I absolutely adored my dog, which people did know. He loved his dog. Um, and if he said that, right, sort of confidently expecting this would be sufficient, you'd realize this man is utterly clueless. He has, he has no idea of the horror of what he's done. He has no idea of the judgment he so ripely deserves. His, his ignorance and arrogance is stunning. 
Well, that is exactly the case for every, every natural-born sinner. We make precisely the same mistake. That it just doesn't seem to be a difficult thing. This shouldn't be that hard for us to be forgiven, for us to enter into the presence of God. Well, the book of Leviticus is meant to open Israel's eyes. You see, they would have easily assumed that it were a small thing to dwell in the presence of God. The, uh, God should be happy to receive them. After all, they are the descendants of Jacob. And they've suffered in Egypt 430 years, a very long time. They deserve some mercy. They deserve a break. They deserve God's favor. Um, they're happy to have it, but it, it, it could easily strike them as quite normal, natural, and expected. Well, Leviticus is a wake-up call. Uh, because the Israelites really don't have any idea what God is like. They don't have a conception of what holiness means. They don't really understand the horror of their sin. They can tell you lots about the Egyptian sins, but not really their own. And so these sacrifices, you see, are God's instrument to teach them. It, it's pedagogical. That, that this, these are ongoing, continuing, ruthless reminders that what they actually deserve is slaughter. That's what they actually deserve. I mean, that's the point. You bring your animal, you lay your, your, head, your hand on its head as a confession. I have sinned. I deserve what this animal is about to receive. And then you slaughtered it. That's a, that's a heavy thing. Uh, taking the life of an animal isn't an easy thing. I remember uh, walking through the barn the morning our cows were taken away. I've talked about this before, but it just, I'll never forget it. Um, so I'm walking through the barn and knowing that uh, in a few hours, trucks are going to come and the entire herd is going to be taken away. Every single animal on the farm is going to be taken away and, and slaughtered. Um, and they didn't do anything wrong. Someone had made a mistake and mixed uh, a chemical in with the feed and now the state said they had to die. Now imagine how much worse I would have felt if I was the one who'd made the mistake. I, I was the one who had inadvertently mixed in the fire retardant with the feed, and it was my fault. Uh, imagine, even worse, that I had done it on purpose. And now just the reality of what I had done is starting to sink in. You see, that's, that is somewhat what it would be like when you take that bull, that ram, and you put your, your hand on its head, and then you take the knife and you slit the throat, understanding that this innocent animal was dying not for your mistake, but for your sin, for your, your chosen guilt, your freely willing chosen rebellion against God, that, that it's, it, it, he's dying for you, for, for your sin. And it's, it's very public. These are not, this is not a neat, tidy thing that happens behind a curtain somewhere. This is right out front in the courtyard where everyone can see. And you can't ask someone else to do it for you. The priest does not kill the animal. You do, unless it's a, unless it's a little pigeon. But, but, but you're required to do it. You've got to face the reality of what you've done and what you deserve. You've got to own the truth of your sin. And again, it's not an easy thing um, to, to kill and to take a life. But to come into the presence of God, it must be done. Blood has to be shed. 
and there was blood everywhere. A blood would be gushing from the neck of the dying beast. And then there's just the visceral scene, the animal thrashing as its life is, is, is oozing away. Um, and, and blood everywhere. If you've ever slaughtered a large animal, it's incredible the amount of blood. And priests would be gathering it up in bowls. There'd be blood all over their hands and their, and their garments. And then, and then they're splashing it against the altar. And this is going on over and over. And, you know, when we come into church, uh, you know, we, maybe we smell certain perfumes of other people. There's, maybe there's an odor from just the chairs and the building itself. Um, uh, if you've been in an old church, old churches have their own aroma. Well, it, the aroma of the worship of Israel was blood. That sweet, sticky smell of blood, and then the and then the the smoke of the burnt offerings. Kenneth Matthews says the sound, smells, and blood would have indelibly marked the memory of Israel's worship of God. The person's transgressions had cost the life of another. It would hard. It would be hard to be, sort of chipper, um, casual, flippant when you have to worship that way. But that's what God requires, you see. Sin must be faced head on in all of its ugly, deadly truth. But as Israel did that, then God promised to uh, the most wonderful thing. He attaches a, a wonderful promise to the ritual. Verse 4, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So God was willing to accept that animal as your substitute and to atone for your sin, to cover over your sin and to wash away your guilt, to make you clean so that you could freely enter into his presence and receive his blessing, his favor. God promises after each um, paragraph here, he promises that the sacrifice would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's verse 9, 13, and 17. A pleasing aroma, fragrance. It doesn't mean God has nostrils like we do. And that he, it, it just means that God is delighted to receive the sacrifice. And he promises to accept it and to respond to you, the worshiper, with his grace and favor. So when you made that sacrifice and the animal has been, has been killed and it's, his, his body is being burned, as you turned and walked away you could know that your sins were being consumed on the altar, in, in a sense, with the animal. That you left them there. That there was nothing between you and God. But that you were now free to receive all of His blessing, all of His favor, because something had happened. Something had taken place. A sacrifice had been made. A life had been taken. Blood had been shed. And God promised to receive it. And that's the only way to be reconciled. And there's, no, there's not another way. This is the way that God is, is, is established. Not because he was cruel, but because he was holy. Uh, not because he was vindictive, but because sin is a horror that demands justice. And, and the just reward of sin is death. And it gets to be, it, it'll be your death or your substitute's death. And you get to choose. If you don't want to come to God that way, okay, then it'll be your life. It's one or the other. This is the only way that God will receive 
the worshiper. And God invites Israel to come and proclaims this is the way to come. The door into his house is through a substitutionary sacrifice. Well, this isn't that hard to apply to our day, is it? It's more relevant than maybe we had imagined. God invites today sinners to come into his presence and be reconciled to him, to be forgiven. Uh, and and he, he, he promises that the, the, the doorway into his presence is open to whosoever will, whoever will may come, but you have to come by the altar. You have to come uh, by the death of another, a real death, a human death, not an animal death. You see, the animals were just pointing to something. As the writer uh, of, the, to the, uh, of the book of Hebrews says, 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So these sacrifices don't actually accomplish the atonement. God is willing to grant the atonement um, on the sign and seal of them. As, as, as he points Israel to a, a necessary coming sacrifice so that when John the Baptist comes and proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you see, they understand what that means. God has been teaching them what that means through all the years of these burnt, these burnt offerings. And so when the Israelites hear the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they know precisely what this is. Though, again, the eyes, the... the uh, the blindness of unbelief kept most of them ignorant. But this is, the, this is the New Testament message, that this one bore our sins in his body on the tree. And, you, and that when you come to Jesus in faith, in some sense you lay your hand on, on Jesus' head and you receive him as your substitute. And, and, and in, in, in a um, very personal way, you say to God, I deserve to die. I understand what my sin requires. But since you have promised to be willing to forgive my sin on the, on, through this sacrifice, the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus Christ, well, then I receive that by faith. Jesus, take my sin. Jesus, be my sacrifice. Jesus, die my death. Bear the wrath that I deserve. That's what it means to come to Jesus by faith. And the promise is that we are sanctified then through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Hebrews 10.10. 10. You see, the book isn't really that strange. It sets the terms for the new covenant as well as the old, just by shadows. But the terms are very much the same, aren't they? The terms of, of this, uh, this covenant was sacrifices and priests and holiness and the terms are the same today, the sacrifice being the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a Christian, you have to come and face the hard truth of your sin. The fact that it has separated you from God and the fact that it actually really means that you deserve to die and that the only possible way you can be in the presence of God in His holiness is to accept the death of His Son as your substitute. That means that Christians live with God by means of a sacrifice and in no other, in no other way. That is because of what Christ has accomplished. There, that real thing that happened on the cross, that, that very real sacrifice that took place, that is our open door into the presence of God. And we can have absolute assurance then that that high priest right, has made it possible for us to enter into the most holy place. We can with boldness draw near to the throne of grace. 
Um, and, and we're called then to live a holy life because we belong to him. We've been purchased by him. Uh, in some sense, that, that bull being wholly devoted to the Lord, we're now wholly devoted to the Lord. We belong to him in every aspect. And we're called to offer our body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing uh, to the Lord through Jesus Christ. The, the, the terms are, 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 are the same, just now in fulfillment form. And the question that I just have for you this morning, is that, is that the covenant you're living in? Or are you looking for another way? Maybe hoping your good intentions are sufficient to make you right with God. Friend, they won't be. They can't be. This is the way that God is, has made known to us. There's no other way. No other lamb. Uh, maybe you're, you're trying to, um, to, to have Jesus in salvation, but you'd like to reserve your life for yourself. And you'd like to... You know, your money and your pleasure, your, your uh, intents and purposes and pursuits are the things that really uh, you're going to be going after, whatever God might think of them. Well, that's not the Christian life. These are the terms. Confess your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that he was the, the willing and sufficient substitute to make you right with God. Live in the joy of knowing that you have the favor of God in him and then live with your life belonging to him. If you've never done that before, I just invite you to do it today. As I said before, um, there will be a death that takes place because of your sin. It'll be yours or it'll be your substitutes. May God grant that on that last day we... Uh, can say, it was my substitutes. He died for me. He died for me. May that be your confession as well. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, I thank you for teaching us things that we need to know. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that he was willing to take our sin while we were yet enemies and to bear our guilt and shame and endure the wrath that we deserve so that we could have a relationship with you, Father, that we could say, Father, it is a privilege purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you that belonging to you now in faith, we can, by your Holy Spirit, live a life that's pleasing to you and live a life where we have absolute assurance that you are pleased with us. So Lord, I, I pray that these truths would, maybe we've heard them a thousand times, but Father, I pray that you'd Bind them to our hearts again today. Teach us, Lord, to, uh, to walk in the joy of our salvation, to shout uh, what God has done, to proclaim your, your glorious deeds on our behalf. I pray, Lord, that we'd be zealous to call a lost world to come and to, uh, to know this God, to receive this gift, to be found in Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that, we would, that this gospel would spread with power in our lives and the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together singing uh, number 305 from the hymnal. Arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears. Uh, Jesus was sacrificed to make us right with God. Let's stand to sing. <laughs>